Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Hello, everybody. Hi. Recording live from somewhere. What's good, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Skates and Plates on the Hockey Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brandon Rewicki. Plenty to get to today, guys, including a bit of a bummer on Wednesday night, eh? A tough loss for the Jets. We'll break that one down, including a bit of a systems dive into the two goals the Oilers scored back-to-back in the first period. I had a bit of a problem specifically on the second one and how that all went down, so... We'll break down the 60 minutes, plus we're going to talk a bit about the blue line both this year and heading into next season and what is shaping up to be a pretty interesting decision for Kevin Chevalier as to how to get that blue line back to where it was a couple of seasons ago. Now, I've mentioned over the first two episodes, I'm getting this done in my dining room studio, making the best out of the situation, but I'm just about done dealing with some technical issues, which is, which is great. Unfortunately, though, I won't have a new food interview for you guys today. Fortunately, though, it's a bit of a roller coaster. We'll dig into the archives, and for those of you who are new or maybe missed it, we're going to re-air a fun chat I had a couple months ago with Q Grill here in the city. That's coming up at the end of the episode. So let's get to the game last night. A 3-2 loss for the Jets against the Oilers. I, I guess the easiest way to break it down is that in the two-game series, I thought each team won the game that they should have lost. I didn't think the Jets played all that good, you know, three or four days ago against Edmonton in that 6-5 win, but they found a way to get it done in a game the Oilers, you know, realistically, you know, quote-unquote, deserve to win, having pretty much double the shots. And I felt the same in last night's game, where... That was one of the more solid games the Jets have played in, in quite some time, I thought, outside of really just a, a two-minute hiccup in the first period. Really, really solid. You know, I, I guess the, the shittiest part was just, and, and something I'm not going to miss, and I'm glad I didn't stay up late to watch it. I, I just I couldn't find a way to hold on, so I recorded it, watched it in the morning. But, oh boy, the penalties, the penalties, the penalties. That was... I know people love to get on the officials and harp on the refs for missed call here. Why didn't you call that there? But that was just a brutally ref game. It was for both sides. It was just terrible. Some of the calls that were made and some of the calls that weren't right though. And those are the ones that piss me off the most. It's not even necessarily, you know, if you call it by the rule book and Hey, if there's 10 power plays, there's 10 power plays, but it's just, 
this was a penalty all game long, but then you decide not to call it in the third. Or this wasn't a penalty through 40 minutes, and then, oh, now we're going to call it in the third period. And, and that's what I thought the game was. It was just a complete mess by the officials. And, you know, the Jets really, really, they bore the brunt of that, especially in the final frame, right? You're trying to make a comeback. And then it, it's not quite a death blow, but pretty close to that three minutes left. And you take that high-sticking penalty, which, I, you know, I thought that was a penalty. You know, he does bonk him on top of the head with his stick, which is very clearly high-sticking. So it just sucked overall from an enjoyment aspect that the game was kind of, I thought, ruined a little bit by the officials. And it's a shame, too, because, I, like I said, I thought the Jets were, were pretty solid. You know, there was really the fourth line, you know, when they played, it felt like they got two minutes. But they were hemmed in a lot of the night. You know, again, Josh Morrissey's pairing didn't show super well by the numbers. But all in all, I thought the other lines looked pretty solid. And Adam Lowry again had himself a pretty damn good game. And we'll talk a little bit about why he wasn't necessarily at fault on the second goal. But, hey, look, anytime you can keep Connor McDavid specifically to under 50% in terms of the shot attempts battle and the chances for 5-on-5, you got a shot, and you did your job against the Oilers, and the Jets did that. So, all in all, a good game. Just, you know what, I don't think anyone's too disappointed. You got a split against the Oilers in Edmonton, and realistically, you know, if you look at the two games as a whole, probably was, you know, the fair way to go about it. Now, I want to touch on the first two goals. Just that brief, I think it was 2-26 and in the first period. They're basically kicked off the game the Jets are chasing, and and couldn't find a way to get back into it. Because there's something that bothered me. In a way, they're both related. You know, the first one isn't as egregious of an error as the second one. But I just wanted to dive into those two plays specifically here. I got the video up that I'm going to follow along and just break down what I'm seeing here. Because it's it's something I've noticed in the past. And I think coaches are taking advantage of it. And I thought they did that. And I think Dave Tibba did an excellent job in last night's game. So the first goal, that's the Yessi Pugliarvi kind of breakaway from the blue line in sort of a deal. I mean, it, it's a tough one for the Jets too here because Connor McDavid gets the puck along the half wall and you're already starting to sag back a little bit, just thinking that you're going to be dealing with that Connor McDavid speed. So you're already a little bit nervous and on edge. And then you have Pugliarvi and Ryan Nugent Hopkins both screaming up the ice with tons of speed. I mean, the main <laughs> the main reason that there's a prime scoring chance and eventually a goal is that Derek Forbort stumbles, and that's pretty much it. Like, that's the play right there, right? He's in a pretty comfortable position, at least. He just stumbles on his feet, catches a bit of an edge, and that allows Pugliarvi to get in. Andrew Kopp's in okay position, but, you know, just isn't able to get back and stop the shot in time. Great shot beats Hellebuck. So, you know... Whatever. Sometimes players have missteps and things like that. It's not a it's not a backbreaking error by any stretch of the imagination. But when you watch it from up above, this has been a problem, and it's something that I think the Jets, you know, teach their blue liners as well is to kind of be aggressive and overload the strong side, overload the side of the ice where the puck is, because Neil Pionk is in great position. You know, he's trying to defend McDavid. He's also in a way trying to defend. The pass coming across into the middle of the ice. But Derek Forbert comes way, way over. Like, way over. Almost basically on the same side as Neil Pionk. 
and then he has his stumble, and that allows you know pretty much a two on zero to happen on a play that is pretty nondescript. So again, if Forbert doesn't stumble, he probably is able to somewhat mitigate the damage there, and, and more than likely there isn't a goal. But it's more of a, I guess, a positioning issue, and something that I've noticed that the Jets have done in the past. And it's just, it's interesting that that's how the play breaks out from the Jets' blue line in, because 26 seconds later, and I can guarantee no doubt in my mind whatsoever that. Dave Tippett had this play in mind is that Neil Leon Dreisaitl's line comes over the boards. They win the face off. They're regrouping inside their own zone. They have the puck behind their net. Chris Russell does. And Dave Tippett runs a set play. I don't know. Hey, look, I don't know for sure if Edmonton runs this play with a, a bunch of regularity against other teams, but there's, I, I just I got to believe when watching this that he has this specifically in mind for how the Jets defend from a standstill with the other team coming from their own zone. So what happens is Leon Dreisaitl picks up speed, taking a huge, huge loop up and around the back of the net, and then he just flies right up the middle. And Adam Lowry as the centerman is the guy that's checking him here on this play. And right away, he, you can tell Adam Larry knows he's in a bit of trouble because Leon's picked up too much speed. He wasn't able to slow him down early enough, and he's got a step on him heading into the middle of the ice. So right when Tyler Ennis is set to make the pass, just over the blue line, just over the Winnipeg Jets, or yeah, sorry, just over the Oilers' blue line here, you can tell that Dreisaitl has this step on Adam Lowry, but it shouldn't be a crippling error. And Tucker Pullman is right at the middle of the ice, right at the red line. You know, has an eye on Tyler Ennis. He's he's in an okay spot, though. He's not, he's not getting beat by Tyler Ennis or anything. And right as he makes the pass, who comes into frame is Kyler Yamamoto. And what he's doing is he's cutting directly across the Winnipeg blue line. So he's gone from the far side of the ice up closer to where the benches are, and he's dragged Josh Morrissey with him all the way across the ice here. And what it does is pretty clearly opens up just a monster lane pretty much right down the center of the ice that allows Leon Dreisaitl to go through here. Like we touched on earlier, Adam Lowry wasn't able to pick up his check. Dreisaitl just, I mean, he's he's faster than Adam Lowry, and when he gets a step on him, Adam Lowry's not going to catch him. And, I mean, this is what Leon Dreisaitl does better than maybe anybody else on the planet. One-on-one with the goalie at the hash marks and the great shot low blocker to beat Connor Hellebuck. Josh Morris, he can't get over there in time. The reason I have a problem with this one is, and if you get a chance, Murat Atej broke it down in, in really good detail on The Athletic. Give it a read. Murat's great at breaking down plays. He's not great at choosing Disney GIFs. Uh, to detail how good up-and-coming Winnipeg Jets prospects are. That was still one of the funniest things I've seen on social media in a long time. I, I, I'm still giggling. Just I, I know the fact that he knew, he didn't know that he picked the certain GIF that showed Simba getting thrown up. I, either way, I'm, I'm kind of getting off track here. But Murad did a great job on The Athletic. If you want to read it, check it out. But in his piece, you know, he asked Paul Maurice about those two plays, and then he touches on the second goal here. And Paul Maurice says that, you know, we lost a check of the neutral zone. So he's kind of, 
you know, pinpointing the blame on this specific goal that Adam Lowry wasn't able to prevent Leon Dreisaitl from getting the puck in that situation and then giving him a clear lane towards the net, pretty much a breakaway from the red line in. And, and look, that's that's true in a sense. Like, it is true. Like, <laughs> that is what happened. And I guess my ultimate problem here is that that's why Paul Maurice is upset on the play. Because to me, it shouldn't be on Adam Lowry to necessarily prevent Leon Dreisaitl from getting a breakaway off two passes from their own zone into Winnipeg's end. I think this is more of a bug than it is, you know, a one-off with the way the Winnipeg Jets play defensively. Is that too often we see that defenseman get aggressive with someone that isn't really all that dangerous. Like, there's really no need for Josh Morrissey to commit all the way over to Tucker Pullman's side. And when Drysaddle gets the puck, Morrissey and Pullman are just about, like, on a line together. Like, they're just about directly in the same spot of the ice. Morrissey's all the way at the uh, at the faceoff dot just outside the blue line. Like, there's just no reason for two defensemen to be in that spot. But that's happened time and time again with the Winnipeg Jets, specifically when teams come through the neutral zone. And that's an easy... I, I just think Dave Tippett looked at that and thought, this is an easy get for us here. Like, if we can run a set play like this, and all we need is one of our guys to beat one of their guys in a, a chase up the ice, just flat-out foot speed, we'll, we'll trust Dreisaitl or McDavid to win that race, and that's what happens here. And it's just, it's it's too easy. And I think it's a really preventable fix. So we'll, we'll see if the Jets figure out or or try to adapt to how they play there, because to me... All that needs to happen is if Josh Morrissey kind of stays in his lane, stays on his side of the ice, you know, worst case scenario there is it's a two-on-one. That would be worst case scenario, which is clearly better than a Leon Dreisaitl breakaway and a shot from the hash marks with a ton of speed as well. But I think that they would have turned that situation, even if Morrissey just stays in his lane, I think he can take Dreisaitl one-on-one, and that would allow either Lowry or Pullman to take Yamamoto out of the play, and you're at an all-right spot, and you prevent a pretty dangerous chance off the rush. So that's what I saw in those two plays there. And it sucks too because once it's 2 nothing there, the, the Jets are just in a bit of a big hole and they couldn't find a way to get back into it. Dreisaitl second of the night too on the power play. Yeah, it was it was just never going to be, I guess, for the Jets to come back from two down against the Oilers in that one. Now, one other thing I want to get to before we jump into the, a, a great interview I had a little while ago with uh, one of the part owners of the Q Empire here in the city. I do want to touch, it's just a thought that came to my head, and that's pretty much all this podcast is. <laughs> just me thinking about random hockey stuff, and then I talk about it, and you guys seem to not hate it at the very least, so that's awesome. And thanks for listening again, by the way. Um, but just looking ahead to next year, and, and how, because it's pretty clear that, you know, the Jets... They've already made their gigantic move. They're not going to be making another one anytime soon, right? So this is the team that's, you know, hopefully going to go into a playoff run in the North Division. And maybe they maybe they find a way to come out of it. But the reality of the situation is, you know, Toronto's a better team, constructed, and Montreal. To, to me, they're both ahead of where Winnipeg is right now. Not that Winnipeg can't beat them, but... In a seven-game series, you would take, I think, either Toronto or Montreal to come out on top. So it's I look at it as more, you know, how can the Jets 
in this upcoming offseason, how can they find a way to at least even the playing field or jump ahead of the Torontos and the Montreals specifically and, and maybe get up to where, you know, the Boston's, the Tampa's, the Colorado's, the Vegas, like how, how can they get into the elite of the NHL? And if their forward course stays the same, relatively the same for next year, I think that's, I think there's no problems with that whatsoever. That that's a That's a great spot to be in. It's just going to be, how do we fix the blue line? You have the reigning Vesna winner in that. You're going to be fine in the goaltending department. But how are you going to fix that that blue line? And and to me, the and, and it's an easy, you know, a quote unquote easy fix. But how can the Jets find that stud defenseman? That that's the one thing that's missing, in my opinion. You have, you know, a couple. You have some solid, dependable guys. But there's nobody that the other team has to game plan around, right? And there's nobody that you feel 100% assured that, hey, we'll throw out our top defensive pairing out. We're going to shut down pretty much anybody that, that comes our way. You, you just, like, as good as Neil Pionk has been this season, I don't think he's still that guy. And, and I still wonder if he's a, a top pairing guy. Might just be a really good second pairing guy, which he has been so far this season. So it, it's just interesting to me how Kevin Chevaldeup goes about that. Because when it comes to free agency, there is someone that fits the bill, but there's only one person that's available right now, and that's Dougie Hamilton. Dougie Hamilton is a UFA. Everybody else in the UFA market is more kind of low-end second-pair, high-end third-pair type guys. Like, there's nobody that's going to really move the needle here in Winnipeg outside of Dougie Hamilton, who would be your, no doubt about it, number one defenseman. And if he plays in Winnipeg like he did this past season in Carolina... You're going to be just fine. So that that's the I guess that would be the easiest fix for the Winnipeg Jets is hey you just all you have to do is give up some cap space. You sign the guy, you convince him to stay, and away you go. How likely is that? Yeah, I don't know. Realistically, probably not that likely. But it's possible at the very least, and it's not as confusing as how to figure that out in a trade, right? Because I mean, never mind just assets going back the other way, but, you know, is there somebody willing? Is there a team willing? Will the player wave is no trade? All that sort of a thing. So this isn't really a discussion necessarily on should it be Dougie Hamilton, should it be someone else. I think it should be Dougie Hamilton. But with the way the salary cap is shaping up next season, there is the possibility that if the Jets want to find that no doubt about it stud number one defenseman, they're going to have to move one of Morrissey or Pionk. There's a very high chance they're going to have to choose between one of the two next year. Because Pionk is up as an RFA. He's going to get a big raise on his contract. It very well could be that Morrissey and Pionk are, at least as far as a cap it goes, making very similar money next season. And if you're going to try and add on... Seven, eight million dollars on top of it. It's just not going to work without moving one or two pieces up front. And I don't know how much you want to do that, even though you do need that defenseman really badly. But it's just more so that that's kind of where I get the sense of here is that Kevin Chevaldeov might have to pick between one of the two if he's going to bring somebody else in to, to solidify that top pairing. And I wonder who you guys would rather have at this point. There's, there's no doubt Neil Pionk's had the better season. He, I mean, right from game one, he's been this team's best defenseman. But we've seen Josh Morrissey play at a really high level with the right partner. So that's kind of the conundrum here, right? Is that 
Do you do you bank on the guy with the bigger cap hit kind of re- returning to the player that he once was? If you get him somebody that he's comfortable with, or do you go with maybe a slightly cheaper option? He is a right shot defenseman as well. Yeah, I'd, I I don't know what the right answer is just yet because you're going to have to move one of those two in a trade. So maybe it might just come down to who who has more value across the league. But I'd love to know your guys' opinion on this, that if, if the Jets were able to get a stud number one defenseman next season and you could only pick one of these two to stay, would you go Morrissey or would you go Pionk? Hit me up on Twitter at Brandon underscore Rewiki. I think we'll get a better sense once this season is officially done who the Jets need to make a priority in terms of keeping if that decision is in play for them. But it's just crazy that it's actually a discussion, right? Because when Neil Pionk came over in that trade about a year and a half ago, however, who knows how long it's been, a season and a half ago, it would have been a no-brainer. Yeah, obviously, Morrissey. Why, why would you... Why would you push him to the wayside? But now, with the way Pionk has played and and Morrissey's taken a step back, it's become a legitimate conversation. So, something to keep an eye on. Either way, that would almost be a, a best-case scenario, having to pick between the two, because you know you're getting a 25-minute-a-night guy coming back to Winnipeg for the first time since Dustin Bufflin left not all that long ago. Now, before we get to our food interview, one quick thing that you guys definitely want to check out here you've heard us talk about DraftKings the leader in daily fantasy sports and how payday can come every day by entering their contests with huge cash prizes up for grabs this week is jam-packed with action basketball golf hockey and DraftKings has plenty of ways for you to have a front row seat to the action all you got to do is make a lineup on DraftKings which adds excitement to each and every night Super easy, super simple to do. Draft your lineup and feel the sweat like never before. Gross, but true. (laughs) Every moment means more with a DraftKings lineup on the line. DraftKings has also paid out over $7 billion to users across all sports. And DraftKings is, of course, the leader in daily fantasy sports, so no better place for you to get in on all of that action. Now that you know how to play... Download the DraftKings app and sign up using code THPN. New users will get a free entry with their first deposit. That's code THPN to get a free entry with your first deposit. Only at DraftKings. Minimum $5 deposit required. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. We've teased it a couple times, but here it is for you guys. A great interview with a guy who's part owner of a number of great spots here in the city. All right, very pleased now to be joined with Calvin Trong. He's the executive chef slash owner slash laborer slash a bunch of other titles of all the Q franchises here in the city. Calvin, how's it going today, man? Not too bad. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, So I actually want to start off with a bit of a story, Calvin. My origin story with your franchise, if that's okay. Oh, sure. I'd, I'd love to hear that. Actually. So I think it was, it might have, it must have been five years ago, and I was at ManyFest uh, for the first time for the, for the food truck wars that go on there. And yep. I was familiar with a bunch of the trucks that were there, but I remember seeing this at the time, this little cart, and it just had the biggest line possible. And so I thought, like, I, I didn't even know what you guys served, but I'm like, I'm just going to get in line and make sure I can grab a spot before it's too ridiculous. 
And then I get up to the front and it's it was Q Grill. And I saw the sandwiches that you made and I ordered a couple. And after my first bite, I was like, Winnipeg is going to fall in love with you guys. What, what, what do you remember about the, the early days of, of Q Grill? Oh, man. So the early days of Q Grill, we, uh, we, ended, we started off as a little food cart, like as you've seen. Um, and Manifest has always been great to us. Like, we love the people of Winnipeg. Uh, and obviously, as the lineup shows, they, they love us. So and they've been we've been fortunate enough that they've been uh, supporting us throughout all these years. Uh, we actually are um, the five times uh, people champs for uh, Manifest five years in a row. Um, so that's one, one thing that we kind of uh, were able to pride ourselves on. But yeah, the early days of, of Manifest, um, like like I said, we started off as just this little tiny hot dog cart, and you know what? We just kept growing, growing, and. And those were those were simpler days. Let's say that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, MJ and the Bulls didn't even five Pete, so that is that's some legendary stuff right there. So, are you are you like me, where you're super competitive, even when it comes to food? Like, because I can imagine after the first couple, you know, going for the title again and again. Did did your competitive juices ever get the best of you at any time? Oh, absolutely. You know what? <laughs> we we're always trying to strive for the best and and try to deliver a product to Winnipeg that, you know, maybe they haven't seen or something that's totally different that's going to excite their taste buds. And, and, and we're always just, you know what, here at Q, we're, we're always trying to innovate to to bring people excitement in food. That's that's kind of what we, we, we pride ourselves on. Well, we love to also make connection to the local hockey team here. And when you talk about making that connection, can you touch on what it was like I guess it would have been a couple years ago now where you helped serve and helped cater those famous Jets White O parties downtown. Oh yeah, that was that was amazing. You know what? Um, during that time, um, you know the Jets obviously were, were in were in the playoffs. Um, Winnipeg was ecstatic. Like everybody in the whole city came out to support the Jets, and it was it was it was just a, a beautiful thing to see in our city. Um, all the communities coming together. And we had fun. We had a fun time, you know. Just um, uh, we we in the first uh, couple ones, we brought our bought our food cart, so you know, <laughs> and we helped uh, serve people out of there, and that was that was truly amazing as well too. So, and you know, I find that with our food carts, um, we're really able to connect with our our clientele, talk to them, get on a name to name basis. So that's for us. That's really exciting. Take us back then to the beginning of the. I guess the kickstarting of the Q franchise was that. Would that have been in, in 2013 with Q Bistro? Yeah, actually, actually. So we started off with uh, Q Bistro, and kind of uh, where where Q is kind of derivative from is uh, uh, there's a prefecture in Japan. Um, it's called Kyushu. So we kind of based our ramen um, on their similar types that they do over there. So when doing that type of ramen, we, you know, I, I was just infatuated with that area, and we just adopted the name Q, and it just kind of stuck with us ever since. Q Bistro being uh, primary a ramen restaurant, um, we just really wanted to move forward and do something innovative at that time in 2013. There was no one really doing ramen at that time as well, so... 
which is really interesting, right? Because, I mean, getting into the food scene now, it feels like ramen's everywhere. Like, everybody has had some kind of gourmet ramen, but you guys really did kickstart the whole trend here. Yeah, at that time in 2013, I was like seven, seven years ago, um, there was, there's not very many places doing, like, authentic um, pork bone ramen soup. Um, and, you know, I traveled, I've tried, I've traveled to Japan and a bunch of other places that, you know, I've had it and I was like, wow, this is truly, uh, a heartwarming soup that you could kind of really feel the soul of. <laughs> so I kind of fell in love with that and I wanted to, then I started studying the ramen for like st- extensively, uh, for over like two years, testing out different stuff. And finally we got to kind of like this, this one that we really liked, and the opportunity came up, and we ended up uh, opening up the QB show. So that was really interesting. Jeez. See, now, I, I read that you spent a year perfecting the certain recipe you wanted. And then is it true that the simmering process alone is something like 17 hours long? Yeah. So every day um, we start our broth at around 6 or 7 in the morning. Jeez. And we just, <laughs> and it just, and it's on a heavy boil, like, like, like overboiling, like constantly, um, just to kind of extract all that, all that protein and nutrients out of the bones, um, and that's what really gives ramen that that in depth flavor and that creamy white broth that you kind of see, and it's all the gluten that's kind of in there as well. <laughs> like it's just oh man, it's it's you know it's a, it's a long grueling process, but it's definitely worth it. Well, and the best part, too, is that, like, you know nobody can make it at home. <laughs> like, no one's going to go through all that effort. It's just, it's worth it's worth heading down to Bistro and, and making the purchase yourself. And it's absolutely out of this world. I, I just, I can't get enough of it. Uh, I did want to ask you this, though. This past year's Burger Week burger at Q Bistro was, I, I think you called it the Cheesy Ramen Burger, correct? <laughs> yeah. So how did how did that idea come about to put cheesy ramen noodles on a burger? Well, uh, you know, we, we wanted to do something that was fun and exciting. Um, and then it was, if you had it uh, for dine-in, um, because we obviously we couldn't do the flying noodle. Uh, for yeah, how did you do that? <laughs> so uh, that, that's a trade secret. You might have to oh. come, out, come down and, come down and, uh, and try, uh, try for yourself. <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah, no, it, it, it's an interesting process. Um, but you know what? Like we wanted to do something that was interesting at first because we we're like, you know what? Let's spice it up. Let's 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 do something that nobody's really um, even attempt to do. So we had seen this kind of thing about this flying noodle thing. Where they, we thought, hey, that'd be pretty, pretty cool. And then when we were putting together the burger, uh, I was like, man, we gotta go cheese all day for sure. Cheese <laughs> <laughs> for me is like, oh, this goes well in a burger. And I had these. It's been like a kind of a new trending thing where there's these cheesy noodles, but not to the extent that we did it. We just kind of pushed it over the, over the edge and, and really played around with it a little bit more to get um, it really uh, cheesy and spicy. So, <laughs> so yeah, um, with this year's Burger Week, it it was it was very interesting and 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 we didn't think that we could have pulled it off, but you know we we kind of perfected it and and kept trying at it. We had a lot of failed attempts, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> but we kept going with it. We stuck with it. And 
you know, a lot of people loved it, so we're we're really ecstatic for that. Yeah, count me count me in that group as well. Now, I I have to imagine there's a bunch of people like me that have said this to you before, but I got to do it anyways. And I, it's my own menu recommendation to you. Have you given any thought to putting just the cheesy ramen noodles on the menu full time? Oh, you know what? Uh, we've had lots of <coughs> lots of inquiries, but actually, and uh, who knows? Maybe we'll call it the. Uh, the TSN noodle. <laughs> oh my gosh, that would make my life. I'd be so happy. Thank you so much. I'm, I'm going to hold you to that now. Yeah, absolutely. We work with our, our developmental group and I'll put something together for you guys. Perfect. Awesome. I can't even imagine the amount of work that a restaurant has to go through during Burger Week. But what's yeah. it? What's it like when you're oh a partner slash chef in like five different ones? Our challenges that we have every year is to innovate and do something that somebody else is not going to really do because, like, there's 162 restaurants that that enter Burger Week. Trying to stay ahead and and try to do something that you know no one can. I mean, like, the last thing you want to see is you know you're doing an entry and and the restaurant down the street's got the same <laughs> entry as you, <laughs> right? And that's and you don't know, right? You don't you don't know what what people are going to enter and you don't know what people are, are cause everyone, you know, I, and I, I gave it heads down to all the chefs in Winnipeg. Like our burger week is hands down, probably one of the best ones in the country. <laughs> and you know, with, with burger week, having so many restaurants involved and, and all the chefs trying to be innovative. Like I said, you don't, the last thing you want is to have <laughs> a similar attitude to someone else. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, at the end of the day, it's about delivering that, uh, impact on flavor, um, and it's got to be visual as well. Um, you know, here at Q, we, we always try to strive for visualization, but on top of everything, tastiness. Like, you know, we, we want to make sure that we have a tasty product for someone, and it, when they enjoy it, they're like, wow, I need another one of those. <laughs> do, you, do you have, out of all your creations, one that, in, in your mind at least, stands atop from the others? <laughs> Oh man, you know what? I was just actually looking over some of our previous burgers um, that we that we've done in the previous years, and I can't I can't even believe how many we've done. <laughs> it's like every year we have like three, four. Like now they've capped it at, at three three franchise uh, restaurants. Oh, yeah. So you're only allowed three restaurants inside of your franchise to kind of because they only have limited space, and I don't yeah. want to crowd the market. I right? think it's a shot at you guys, actually. <laughs> <laughs> it, it quite possibly be, but you know, it's it, it's totally fine. So yeah, like I, I, it's hard to say, man. I I I love them all. I'm like I'm not gonna put out a product that that I'm not in love with. Yeah, you know. <laughs> so I eat all the burgers, then, <laughs> and and they're all they're all unique and 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 tastier in their own way. Kind of depends on how you feel. Because I, I just love burgers in general. <laughs> uh, totally. Uh, and, and so for the rest of Q Bistro's menu, for those that haven't been, uh, the ramen is obviously the kind of the keystone of it. But you guys do a lot of really interesting. Like there's a lot of Japanese appetizers, you know, like the teppanyaki, um, as, as well as the, the pan. Is it okonomiyaki? Is that correct? Yeah, okonomiyaki. Yeah, like a bunch okay. of those. So is it uh, is it fair to say it's more of like a, a Japanese-style menu that you have at Q Bistro? Oh, absolutely. Um, so what that style of uh, Japanese cuisine that we do is uh, called izakaya. Okay. Uh, so that, it's basically kind of like small eats 
food that you kind of pick at, kind of like tapas type things. And then we have our robotic section, which is kind of like our skewers and stuff that we specialize in. Um, and then, you know, we, like we've kind of introduced like sort of like a, uh, a menu that's kind of like a compilation of, of all those type of things together and to get a full view out of it, right? So, <coughs> so yeah, we do a multitude of different different style of cuisines at, at Q Bistro. Uh, it's one of our longest-standing restaurants, so we've had a lot of time to plan and play with it and, and test and bring out new items. And, you know, we're, we're excited to to kind of working. We, we've been working on a, a kind of a new concept as well for in there. So hopefully, uh, hopefully that pans out and everyone loves it. Fair. We'll have to get to that later on in the interview because that is extremely intriguing. We're speaking with Calvin Trong. He is the executive chef and owner of the Q franchises here in the city. Brandon Rewicki here with you on Skates and Plates on the Hockey Podcast Network. So you started off with Q Bistro, which we've touched on in the early part of this year. Can you take us through what came next after that with Q Grill and then maybe some of the other places? I guess maybe just like the timeline of, of how you guys have expanded after the start at Q Bistro. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know what? Um, we started off Q Bistro in about 2013. Uh, the next one came out was uh, Q Grill. That was our, our food cart, and, uh, and, that's, and, and that's why where the name Q Grill kind of uh, came out from because you know, we were on these carts and they had a big grill on them. So, you know, we we're like, you know what, let's just adopt that name. It works well. It's simple <laughs> enough for people to understand. And, and we just went with that. So Q Grill was the next to kind of evolve. Uh, and then we expanded to a couple of carts. Uh, and now we have a food truck with uh, with that sector. Um, and then we actually have uh, a sector in uh, in Vancouver that we're kind of wow. um, we have uh, a food truck in Vancouver that uh, we're running as well right now. So that's uh, Q Grill YVR. Um, but after that, uh, we ended up uh, we we had we worked on a little project uh, in the south called Q Slice. It was like a pizzeria place, um, and we just kind of you know we were so busy at that time it was hard to kind of like take care of everything so that we, we ended up just putting a hold on that project there. Um, and then we had uh, Q Bochi, uh, which was kind of like our uh, Thai and Cambodian uh, cuisine that we kind of uh, work with. And that, that had a phenomenal success there. And, and uh, you know, a lot of people are really loving the spicy flavors and mm-hmm. different, different, uh, different flavors that are coming out of there as well. Um, and you know, it's really exciting cause that, that, that type of cuisine kind of touches base with me as well at home. Uh, and it's, you know, like a lot of times, you know, we, we try to strive to innovate all these types of things all the time. And, and we want, obviously we want to, we, we focus on, on give, delivering a, uh, a product that is very traditional in flavor. Uh, but a lot of times we'll, we'll recreate it and, and we represent it in a way that, uh, you know, a lot of people haven't really done in that sort of cuisine. And that's what we've kind of done with, with Kubochi and, and Kubicho as well. Kubicho is more of a traditional, I would mm-hmm. say Kubrill is more of a fusion style. Uh, we take a lot of flavors, we kind of mash them up together and just see what we come up with. And a lot of times it turns out pretty tasty. So, um, And then we have our newest endeavor, which is uh, the Q Snack Box. Um, 
that's kind of like uh, a Southeast Asian cuisine. Um, we've kind of took in a lot of different flavors from a lot of different places, um, and we just kind of threw them together in the menu. And you know, and it's still it's still a fairly new project that we're working on. But you know, we we've done like really fantastic things, like the Bang Bang Noodle. We've had lots of lots of uh, success with that one. And, you know, we're always coming up with new innovations and different stuff all the time for there as well. I mean, if you want to hook me up with a Bang Bang Noodle recipe, which I had the other day, that would be cool, too. <laughs> I'd just yeah. say, and I'll throw it out there. <laughs> yeah, I know. that. You know that we have, we, we, we roll all the, all the, uh, all the dough and everything, and then all of a sudden, and then we take it, and we bang, we actually bang the noodles on the table there. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> oh, yeah. So that's, that's where the name comes from. Yeah, you kind oh. of stretch it and then you kind of bang it. It's, it's very interesting, actually. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I know that's that's definitely one of our uh, top sellers there as well. So, and uh, like recently, we've been working on the burrito tacos with Q Grill, mm-hmm. um, and that's had a tremendous, phenomenal support behind. So. That's been fairly awesome. So. It's been all over social media over the last little bit, and somebody actually, uh, one of our coworkers here, Andrew Hustler Patterson, uh, got back to work, and somebody actually ordered it for him and brought it to the station here. And so I saw the picture there. I was like, "Oh my goodness, oh, wow. this is just the the latest wild creation." So how did how did the I guess the shift to to Mexican and the tacos happen for you guys? You know what? I, I've 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 been immensely in love with. Uh, Mexican food, like all my life, I've been to Mexico tons of times, and I, I love their culture. I love their food, um, and it, 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 we just kind of stumbled upon it by accident. Actually, um, <laughs> one day, like we were like, "Man, we really want to eat these tacos," <laughs> and there was no one else selling these tacos at all. And we we're like, "Man, I gotta get these tacos." So we ended up just making it ourselves, and you know, we made it just for our staff and a couple of friends. They're like, "Man, you gotta sell these tacos," and Everyone just, uh, we just made a batch. We tested it out. They said, hey, you guys want to, we, uh, we, 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 we made a couple orders for people to kind of pick up and try it. And they're like, man, these are amazing. So we ended up just, you know, trying it out, selling it for a couple of days. We were only going to do it for a day or two. But man, the demand was like incredible. Like it was just like, people were like, man, we got to get these tacos. <laughs> so we ended up just flying with it. And then, and uh, it's been, and we're still going. So <laughs> um, it's been truly amazing lately. So that's awesome. Time. And, 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 you know, as, uh, and, and it's so, it's so great that, you know, Winnipeg has been supporting us and trying to, trying to, you know, and help, help our rush. Cause I mean, these times right now, it's been very challenging with, with, you know, trying to keep all of our employees employed and, and everything else behind there. So, you know, we got to kind of stay innovative, but, you know, people got to eat too, right? So, you know, not only you're supporting someone, you're filling your belly. Awesome. Oh, a hundred percent. And, you know, like I hate asking this question, but I think it's important for, for the listeners and everybody here just, just to kind of get a better sense of what it's like, but how has the pandemic and, and everything affected what you guys do on a daily basis and how have you guys fared over the last several months um you know in the beginning it was uh it's very very challenging um we've had to almost do a 180 in just everything that we've done um we've had to re restructure the way that we 
approached every single aspect of how we wanted to do business. And, you know, cause like we, we had, we'd seen like massive drop in sales and we we're like, Holy, this is, this gets serious, <laughs> you know? And we had a emergency meeting with our team and our group. Um, and we, we talked about a couple of ways to strategize around, um, some of the things and, and navigate some of the things that were, were coming, um, and you know, like we've always had uh, like a tremendous support, uh, behind us from Winnipeg, which I thank Winnipeg very much for. Um, and you know, we, and we try to give back as much as we can. We always, you know, we always try to support charities and, and things all around us whenever we can. And, you know, and for that, like Winnipeg has supported us tremendously behind that. So, um, we've had a lot of support from Winnipeg, which is very, very great from us, and, and we can't appreciate them enough. But uh, on the business uh, side of things, you know, we 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 took a look at a, kind of how we were traditionally approaching um, our our marketing and our sales, and and you know our food development, the products, everything. Like we we had to re-engineer everything right down to the product. So that we had a better product because everything was takeout now, right? So yeah. We had to re-engineer all of our products so that it still was the same. Like not, you know, obviously you can't get that in-house type of mm-hmm. um, flavor and 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 everything behind there, um, and that in-house experience. But we wanted to emulate as much of that and and make sure that the product was was, was still delicious when you received it, right? So we had to go through and overhaul practically more than half of our menu so that it would be able to kind of like, you know, adjust for, for these types of things and, and make sure that people are getting still delicious food. Cause that's at the, at the end of the day, that's what we really want to strive on is, is to deliver a product that people are, you know, are happy to pay with, pay for, right. Cause it's, it's, it's delicious, <laughs> you know, nobody wants, you know, you know, like food that's not great. Yeah. So, <laughs> So you know we we and we had to really look at that and and go back and and take a look at our strategies, our marketing, um, and really uh, shift a lot of our focus to like an online presence. We streamlined, we've upgraded our whole systems um, to do online ordering, um, which we didn't have before the pandemic. Um, you know, there's a lot of stuff that we had to really adjust and, and our, and our, and, and, you know, I'm so proud of our team to kind of kind of work together and put the, put these together to kind of, um, make it easier for customers to order and, you know, deliver something that's, you know, still very delicious to them. So there's been a lot of challenges, but, you know, we, we, we meet all the time to talk about, um, you know, what's our strategy and, and how we can tackle these new challenges and new changes to restaurants, um, procedures and all that stuff. Like, you know, every week we have like, some new type of, type of uh, protocol from the health board comes out. You know, we have to oblige by that and, and, and make sure that, you know, we're, we're ready for these types of changes and stuff like that. So been interesting for sure oh geez well you know from a chef's perspective what is the biggest challenge in turning the majority of your menu items into something that maybe is a little bit more takeout friendly i'm sure you've had takeout by now (laughs) from you guys a lot too (laughs) so like especially when you're, you're eating a product um you know there's a lot of things to to um take in consideration 
Like, does the product travel well? Is is the product supposed to be crispy, but it ends up being soggy by the time you get it? Is the flavor, as it sits in the box or, or the container, um, is it going to be the same as, you know, or similar to when a person would be eating it off the plate where it's just coming out fresh from the kitchen, you know? So, like, a lot of times you have to look at these challenges and changes and make um, slight adjustments into, you know, tweaking the textures, the batters, the, you know, cook times, all these other things as well, too. So, I mean, there's, there's a lot that goes into just making one one dish. Even. Yeah. So, you know, and, and then on top of that, it's got to look visually good. Yeah. <laughs> right? You can't just slap it in a box and be like, hey, there's your food, right? So... Like for us, we're always paying attention to um, how the how the product is looking. Is it tasting the way it should? Is it, is it being delivered? Um, and then you know, from the time it gets from the restaurant to the person at home, sometimes people are just skip the dishing or you know, delivering or picking up or whatever. But it's going to take at least ten fifteen minutes to get from the restaurant to wherever you're going to be going, right? So we consider a lot of the, the, the lag time in between the, the, when you when you take the order from where you get it to, to where it's going. There's a retain the heat. And, you know, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of aspects behind not only engineering the products that we're, that we're kind of putting together, but, uh, you know, and then at the end of the day, just tasting it, how to taste it at the end of all that, right? Totally, totally. <laughs> all right, so we only got a couple more questions before we get you out of here because I know you're super busy, Absolutely. Calvin. I know, yeah. um, I don't really have a direction to this question. It's more yeah. of a statement, but I just wanted to say that your sauces are the best. <laughs> like, oh, like I'm a huge sauce guy, <laughs> and, I mean, whether it's the spice, spicy mayo, any of your other spicy ones, or the sweet, I mean, just all of it is so great. How Like, how much time and effort goes into your... I don't even know how many sauces you have. Dozens, hundreds? <laughs> you know what? I, myself, am a big sauce guy. Yes. So that's probably why you'll see a ton of sauces or a ton of different uh, variety of different sauces and, and flavors uh, that we have or we carry throughout all of our restaurants. Uh, and, you know, I treat them all individually. Um, I try to try to just... Every, every restaurant has, you know, like like their whole like repertoire of sauces and flavors that they work with. So, and, you know, I would, I would say that more than, you know, like almost all of our sauces are in-house made. We usually make a lot of all of our sauces from scratch. Um, just cause you know, I'm, I'm a sauce guy. I, I love sauce. It's like, so you good. know, you want, you got something crispy, you want to dip it into something. Yeah. And <laughs> it just, it's just delicious. And a lot of times those flavors aren't on the market. So, we end up having just to make it ourselves. <laughs> well, you do a great job, so please keep oh. on doing it. <laughs> oh, thank you very much. Now, you, you did mention something that I want to touch on here, but but first, uh, with Q Slice, hopefully everything works out for you guys in, in that regard because it is one of the best pizzas in the city, and your bulgogi za is up there, like with the elite elite. So all the best with Q Slice, first off. Yeah, we've just kind of put that project on hold right now. So we we we've got tons of stuff in the works right now. So hopefully we'll we'll, we'll revisit that one in the in the future. Now you did, and, and look, if you don't want to mention it, go ahead and tell me off. Uh, but you did mention a potential new project that you guys are working on. Can you maybe shed some light on that? 
Um, you know what? Um, we we're looking at uh, possibly, you know, because a lot of our restaurants are kind of like downtown. So we're looking at possibly getting something in the works for something in the south, so that you know people can enjoy some stuff down on that side of the neighborhood. So we'll see, though. We're, we're it's nothing concrete yet, so. Um, you probably got the exclusive on that one. Oh my goodness. Breaking news. You heard it here first on skates and plates. I like too, that you clearly don't want to dive too much more into it. So I appreciate you at least giving me a little bit. No, you know what? I, I, I don't want to jinx it. And I'm the same way. So unless the project's like ready, set, go, uh, then, you know, I, I don't like to touch, you know, I'll I'll talk about a little bit, but I don't want to jinx it and, and that project doesn't pan out. So. But we'll see. We'll see how things go. I'm a huge believer in in jinxes, so I'm I'm on board with you there. How about this? When when it comes, if it, if it eventually comes to fruition, we'll have you back on to talk about it, and then we can find out you know everything you got working on. Okay. <laughs> Sounds great. All right, last one for you here. It's the the final question that we throw towards all our guests. But let's just say coming up soon, it's game one of the Winnipeg Jets season. And I know you got a bunch of different places, so you can go anywhere with this. But what would be Q's rendition of the perfect game day item? Ooh, you know what? I I'm a firm, firm believer, uh, and you know I have a couple clients that are are like this too. When I when we the Jets came back, um, I have this customer uh, and a really good client of friend and friend of ours. They've got to have ramen every single time we've got a game day. <laughs> it's it's like the it, it is like their their like oh man it, it is like their their ritual their ritual that they do every single time there's a home game. Um, the Winnipeg Jets they got to come in and have a spicy miso ramen at the RB show. <laughs> I know really it's yeah. and, it's, and you know it, it, you know you're in the stadium and it's cold out. It's usually winter. It always goes well. <laughs> That's a, hey man, that is an outstanding call. It's a unique one on top of that as well. Yeah, so, so absolutely. maybe, yeah, I think we're going to have to make that a reality here. And look, if they get on a win streak and people start this early on, who knows how long the, the Roman jinx could, could go on for you guys, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> awesome. Well, Calvin, look, I know you're super busy, so thank you so much for taking the time to join me know. today. Before you go, can you just let the people out there know how to how to give you guys a ring, how to visit you, all the different locations. The floor is yours. Just let everybody know how they can taste your delicious food. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, we're starting off with Q Bistro. We're located at 185 Isabel. Um, you can check out our uh, Instagram page, and you can order directly right off of there as well, too. Um, and we got Q Grill. Uh, if you want to get in those three tacos, just go to QGrill.com, um, and you just click order now. Uh, we've got the uh, Q Bochi. Um, you can check out kyubochi.com, and you can just order directly off of the site. It's simple and easy. Right on, Calvin. Well, hey, again, thank you so All much right, for what? stopping by, and hopefully we'll forgot, talk soon, okay? I forgot one more. We have oh, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> sorry about that. We have uh, Q Snack Box. If you want to get the Bang Bang Noodles, go to qsnackbox.com, and you can order directly off our site. It's like a family, a big family of children, right? You forgot somebody in the back. Yeah, yeah, it was like the youngest one. <laughs> yeah, that's what the baby gets. Yeah, absolutely. Good stuff. Well, again, Calvin, thanks so much, man. Have a good day. You too. Take care. 
All right, so that was our great chat with Calvin Truong of the Q Empire a little while ago. Make sure to check out all their places around the city. Uh, Caillou Bistro is actually my my personal choice for my B-Day dinner, which I take very seriously, by the way. A, because I love my birthday and I love gorging on food, and B, because the wifey pays for it, so I had to take full advantage of that. So that's probably the best recommendation I can give a place. So make sure you check them out all over there. Bistro, Bochi, Grill, Snackbox. I think that's all of them. I'm sorry if I missed any. But Calvin and the guys down there at Q, outstanding. They also gave me, they, they sent me some of their birria tacos, by the way, a little while ago. So I'm forever indebted to them. I'm bowing to them right now. Thank you so much for the delicious meal. So check those out. They are, oh my, God. and I'm not a huge Mexican food guy. But they're like the perfect mix between a taco and a quesadilla. They're just so, so damn good. And they have jackfruit ones, vegan options, and and beef meat options as well for you guys. And the hot sauce, you have to get it with the hot sauce as well. But that does it for another episode. We're back on Tuesday. We'll break down a two-game series against the Vancouver Canucks. A huge chance for the Jets to put the Canucks in the rear view for good this season. Plus, I'm expecting one maybe two guests to join me for Tuesday as well. Hashtag possible reunion. That's all I'm going to say for now. But until then, thanks so much for listening to another episode of Skates and Plates on the Hockey Podcast Network. I'm Brandon Rewicki, back with you guys on Tuesday. Peace!